For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Welcome to The Rock Podcast. In his effort to encourage his apathetic Hebrew Christian friends, our writer of the book of Hebrews turns to the example of Moses and points out five instances in Moses' life where his faith teaches a valuable lesson worth imitating. Now let's join Pastor Ross with a message entitled, The Faith of Moses. I have always been impressed with the life of Moses even before I became a believer. In fact, it was that classic old movie, The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston as Moses. It really was my first thoughts about God and the Bible. Uh, I was in high school. It made a big impact on me. uh, as the story unfolded there in front of the TV screen, I, my heart was stirred. Uh, you, you, you know what I'm talking about. I got a couple of slides. Uh, the first one here. You know, I will be so disappointed if Moses doesn't look like Charlton Heston. <laughs> that is so how I picture him. Just, yeah. So uh, you know the story from the, I mean, there I was just never hearing it. Uh, We were Jews, but we didn't go to shul. Shul uh, is um, for temple. It's a Yiddish word for going to synagogue. So the first time I heard our story was thanks to Charlton and the cast here, (laughs) you, you know, and so a few scenes, you know, from that burning bush and the beautiful, that voice, even though, it, you know, it's, it's 50 years plus old, but I just, I was mesmerized from the call to um, the next one, this means the next one, to the plight of the Jewish people um, building those nasty pyramids and under the relentless, I, I didn't mean anything if you like pyramids, sorry. <laughs> next slide. You know, the confrontation, oh, it's just, I mean, you're just, wow, it's exciting. And, you know, he is saying, let my people go over there. <laughs> you know, the plagues, you know, that's a, you forget the, what the plagues were, right? Well, one of them was an invasion of these critters. Now, if you have one of them, you know, uh, that's fine. But if you have them in your kneading bowls and in your beds, as the scriptures say, that's a whole nother thing. So the plagues and, you know, finally the grand ta-da, you know, that just an amazing thing. And we know God was painting a story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is standing for Christian baptism. That we're saved through the waters of baptism. God taking his people out of slavery. The Exodus is uh, really a portrait of salvation in the Old Testament. Just really much. So, so thank you for those slides. But I just remember really uh, feeling a connection, of course, you know, to that story and to those people. Well, the pastor friend of this first century Jewish Hebrew congregation who believes in Yeshua, 
Uh, they're apathetic. They've been discouraged. They're not handling it like a mature believer. Instead, they're getting bitter and isolating and doing all the wrong things when you face adversity. And so instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to help them to endure through patience and faith, they were going the other way. And so uh, our author is saying, hey, make a connection with Moses' faith. Uh, Imitate him. Take God at his word like he did. Direct your life accordingly like he did, even though uh, he had tough consequences. He had faith and he endured, endured like him. And with a little patience and in a little time, you'll inherit the same promises of God just as he did. And so he's been making a case for faith. And now it's time to bring in exhibit M, M for Moshe or Moses. Moshe in Hebrew, Moses in English. Verse 23, let's look at the whole passage we're going to deal with today. So by faith, my dear discouraged Hebrew Jewish Christian friends, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child. And they were not afraid of the king's edict, Pharaoh. By faith, now, when he had grown up, Moses refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. And by faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians, without faith, Tried to do so, they were drowned. And so that's going to be our text. You know, there are five shout outs of examples connected to him. Really, the first one is about his parents' faith, and the last one is about the faith of his followers. The three middle ones here on the screen are about his personal faith, but they all kind of tie together with him. We're going to take a look at uh, four of them, and we'll leave the, the, the parting of the Red Sea for the next time. There's so much to say about that. And so here are the incidents. Five, I said there were five for Abraham, and there are going to be five for Moses. And really, he's talking to people, Hebrew Christians, who are, like I said, pretty downcast. They're backsliding. They want to go back to the easy way of of doing life. So it's meant to encourage a Christian backslider. What does it mean to believe in God if you are struggling and kind of backsliding? Well, the first thing, if you're taking notes, we're going to isolate the first verse. And what it will mean is, what it means to believe in God, first, is it means that we can stop being afraid. You're not going to get very far 
in your Christian life if you're driven by fear, about what people think, about opinions. You just will not blossom into the person that God wants you to be. And they are intimidated. They are pushed back. And he says, listen, I want to even talk to you about Moses' mom and dad first, because they had to face an edict from an Egyptian king, the Pharaoh, but they stood up to that. So the first point here is isolated for you. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months. And after he was born, they saw that he's no ordinary child and that uh, they were no longer afraid of what Pharaoh had uh, commanded. So Moses' faith, faith as it, uh, as I've said, starts with mom and dad. Now, um, you know, no doubt we get passed down more than just our, our noses and our ears and the shape of our head. And I, I believe we do get passed down uh, a little bit of personality as well, a little bit of that Hebrew chutzpah uh, from mom and dad who are not afraid of a pharaoh. Let's say, bring it on. You know, of course, it's because of their faith in God. But, you know, there's probably some precursors in our souls and spirits that kind of makes uh, a more receptive welcome of the faith that saves. I wouldn't be surprised. And so uh, Moses' faith starts with uh, good stock, (laughs) people who believed and were strong. And now, so Moses' story, really, this shout-out to mom and dad is pretty worthy to be in there. Why? Because without that faith that gave them courage to defy Pharaoh, we wouldn't have a Moses. So, of course, he starts with mom and dad. Because uh, there were some families that lacked that kind of faith, and they complied with the edict. Now, let me show you what that edict was in the fullness of of the context, I have it for you here. Now, let me give you some context while you're reading it, I'm sure. Uh, The Jews have been enslaved for 400 years, uh, and God was blessing them no matter what they did to them, right? They multiplied, right? And so the king said to his cabinet one day, hey, listen, guys, uh, the Babylonians, they're going to come in here, and, and this massive horde of Jewish men are going to pick up and they're going to throw in their lot with them and then we're done. And we'll wave bye-bye to all our free manual labor, (laughs) you know? And so they said, hey, here's the edict. (laughs) Kill the baby Jewish boys. And here's how it went. The king of Egypt started with the Hebrew midwives whose names were Shipra and Pua, When you help the women, the Hebrew women, in childbirth and observe them on their delivery stool, if it's a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God. See, when you fear God, you know what? Man and all his threats and intimidation, they take their rightful place, lesser. (laughs) They feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then when the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered the Pharisees, women, uh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They're vigorous (laughs) and they give birth before the midwives arrive. 
like Lauren Rush. <laughs> She'd make a good Hebrew woman. <laughs> Verse 20. So, so God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order, and here's the edict, edict, king's edict. To all his people, every boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let the girl live. Where'd Pharaoh get that idea from? I'm going to tell you, the devil. Why? Because you know what? There were prophecies it had been 400 years. People were talking. The elders were praying. Words were coming forth. Our deliverers coming. And those elders in Israel weren't the only ones looking for some sort of deliverer. The devil knew. He was told by the Lord himself that your conqueror is going to come through a human woman and is going to, quote, quoting the Lord, crush your head. So he's on alert. He's looking. He's catching wind. He's doing the math. It's been 400 years since he told Abraham. It's time. So he says, what does he do? He stirs up the insecurity and the pride of Pharaoh. And then what do you get? You get an edict to genocide, kill the Jews, because behind the Pharaoh, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with dark powers in heavenly places behind the human being. And so it was the goal of Satan to, to take out the de deliverer number one before he could take out the Hebrews, literally, from the land of slavery to the land of promise. And don't think he stopped there. He fails with deliverer number one. What is he going to do? Well, he knows prophecies and he and the wise men who are watching the star to go to, to from Babylon all the way to Bethlehem. They're not the only ones looking for the king of the Jews. So is the enemy who is seeking this king of the Jews is going to be my conqueror. So he stirs up yet another king and another king in pride and in insecurity issues a decree the same thing it failed with deliverer number one kill all the jewish boy babies deliverer number two kill all the jewish boy babies in bethlehem the same thing the bible is majestic in the way that it takes prophecies and types Moses is a type of Christ, and it's the story told over and over again. Well, he failed again, and yet he still persecutes the Jews and tries to wipe them completely out because God comes back. Jesus Christ returns to a converted Jewish nation who looks up and believes at that last tribulation days in Armageddon and cries out for Yeshua. And he returns to them. And if there are no Jews on the planet, there's no promise. The scriptures have been broken. Therefore, the adversary behind Pharaoh and behind Herod and behind Hitler and, about, and behind a host of all other people kill the Jews. Now, they've been trying that. And we just, you know, what happens is we, they fail 
and then we have a holiday, and then eat. <laughs> so it's a holiday, and then we say, bring out the food. You know, our history is, you know, they tried to kill us, they failed, let's eat. You know, it's three. three. <laughs> but I digress. So what was it about this darling baby boy that, oh, I'll tell you what it was right now. It was faith. Faith, when you're in a pickle, when the flames and you are hot and your back's against the, the wall, faith is looking for a hint of God's mercy somewhere, a stirring of the waters. Just show me, God, what to do. Faith, as soon as you're under the fire a little bit, your eyes of faith are open. And there was something beautiful about this baby. And the writers here, uh, they're confused. The, the, uh, the commentators, I should say, they don't know how to interpret that word. King James, archaic, it says, uh, when they saw he was a goodly, proper child, well, that's not useful today. Let, let's try America's Standard Bible. When they saw he was, the word technically 100% means beautiful. When they saw he was a beautiful child, well, this goes way beyond super cute and uber adorable, all right? This is like, oh, this kid is uber adorable. This must be the one. No, no, no. I like word biblical commentary. Has it so good? So does the NIV. The NIV's trying to help us out there. But the word biblical commentary says, when they saw that he was uncommonly striking as a child. If, if we were to ask Joshebed, what was it? What, how'd you guys? Well, we were looking. We had faith. We were praying. There was something about his countenance and the way we just, oh, we just put it together. One writer put it this way. What it, what it was about, what was it about this baby that faith enabled the parents to see? Perhaps there was an intriguing countenance on the baby's face, and by faith, mom and dad understood that to be God, they understood that to be God at work in an extraordinary way. That perhaps this child was born for such a, a time as this, when the Jewish people were awaiting deliverance. Faith gave them the knowledge which brought the courage and the and the know-how to risk their lives, trust the Lord, and to defy the king's edict. Come on. If God is in this, if God has told you through faith, you look down there, and this is no ordinary experience going on here. Something divine, that's what they're trying to say. When that goes down to your soul, you can face any giant. You can face any edict. You can do what the, the invisible king is telling you to do. And defy that king that you can see with your eyes. One writer said, awareness of the presence and power of the unseen God downsizes any and all threats of human origin. And Amram and Joshebed had that awareness by faith. So what she did, she said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to comply with the king's edict. Only I'm going to make you a little boat. <laughs> I'm going to toss you into the river. <laughs> but I got a plan. And the word there 
for basket is ark. The same word used for Noah, you know, so in baby Moses go. And, and you know, she knows what's happening. And she points, she knows where the princess takes her afternoon dip, you know. And it's like kind of in the name of Yahweh. And she lets that basket go into the gracious, sovereign, wonderful hands of the most high God. Listen, unafraid. That's the point of the verse. Stop being afraid. I'm being afraid. Little, little Yoshebed, not afraid of Pharaoh. He's saying to his Hebrew friends, come on, be like Yoshebed, the mama of Moses. Look at her strength. She wasn't afraid. Oh, man. You know, without faith in God, it's easy to be bullied. It's easy to succumb to peer pressure and the pressure of the world to squeeze us into its mold. But with faith in someone bigger and stronger than any edict from any human source, it is so much easier to stand up for the truth and for the Lord. And who cares about disappointment or disapproval or gossip or slander or threat or any loss? Are you kidding me? If God's in it, and what is, what is the thing he's doing in you that's, wow, this is no ordinary blessing. This is no ordinary, this birth of something in your heart, this gospel birth that you look down and see, this is a beautiful thing, but there's an edict in the world that says, drown it. Throw it into the river. We don't want to see that beautiful God-inspired redemptive act that God's born of your heart and your walk. For Christ is in you. The Holy Spirit is in you. You bear him to the world. You have uh, no, no ordinary child right there. What is it that the world's telling you? Put it in the river. You don't want to see that nasty thing because it threatens our autonomy. Bury it. Though you have a little class at the JC and you're going to share your testimony in one of your speeches. And what do they all say? Drown it. Or, or you're talking at work a little bit, just a little bit, tiny bit. Oh, no, we can't have that. What is it that's alive in you and wonderful and just shining with the countenance of heaven? And, of course, the world is going to say, you don't want it. We don't want it. We're going to turn up the heat. You get rid of that thing. Toss your baby overboard or you're going to be sorry. You know what Josheben said? Bring it on. Joseph, uh, Joseph Bed just walked right into the palace. I could see her saying, you got a problem with me? <laughs> Never mind. I was going to go further with that. Bring it on. Here's what Psalm 18, 118, verse 6 says. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? My darling Hebrew Christians, have faith. We can stop being afraid. Number two, 24 and 25 says, by faith, now Moses, now we're dealing with him personally, when he had grown up, he was about 40 years old, Stephen tells us, Acts chapter 7, 
refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter that was prince and heir to the throne. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God. He chose, chose, choice, to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy, chose, mistreated, chose, joy, the pleasures of sin for a short time, for a season. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. This should be printed and put every place you can see it and be reminded of its value to us in a world like this. So what does it mean, oh discouraged Hebrew Christian, to believe in God? Well, number one, it means that we can stop being afraid. And now number two, it means that we can actually regard the disgrace that comes our way associated with our relationship with the truth and with Christ as a valuable thing. We can choose to associate with Christ and that disgrace, and see it as valuable. So, as you see in your text, Moses has a choice to make. Now, you recall, you know that he gets adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, and in God's sovereign providence, the ark does actually end up in her hands while one day while she's out um, by the shores there. You know, she spots the basket, a slave girl brings it to her, and you know the story. He's going to end up as the adopted heir to the throne. Josephus and Jewish historians say that Pharaoh had no sons. So it's quite possible. Well, first of all, uh, Yul Brenner's out of a job. Because he played Moses' brother, right? Uh, But uh, it's quite possible. And even then, he still uh, enjoyed every advantage that privileged status could uh, afford him. And that's really it. I have a slide of just him, just reminding you of his relationship with Egypt there. I mean, this, this guy had it all. And that's the point. You have to understand the sacrifice and what, what faith caused this guy who had it all to give up, to identify and choose. The word is choice. He made a choice to go from that palace and all of that pleasure and ease and money and convenience to be identified with the nobodies, the dirty slaves with rags and pain and suffering and scars. That's the choice he had to make. We'll go back to the verse. And so... He had a choice to make, and that's how he was living until one day. And the Bible says that it was actually he had a conversion day. You know, it was one day while he was out among the Hebrews, he was his princely self. No doubt the Holy Spirit had been working for months, maybe years. He's 40 years old at the time. He looks down and he sees them beating one of his Hebrew brothers, and he snaps. That's it. It's over. It's over in his heart. He has renounced 
the whole Egyptian royal story that goes with Moses. And now he's going to come away from that experience saying this in a moment. Their suffering is my suffering. Their cause, my cause. Their God, my God. Their disgrace, my disgrace. Wow, he said, that to me, Moses speaking, is of greater value than all the riches of treasure in Egypt. That's crazy. F.F. Bruce, from the world's point of view, well, they call us fools, right? First Corinthians chapter one says we are called fools for Christ's sake. F.F. Bruce on this subject. Moses had to choose one or the other, like all of us. He couldn't identify himself both as an Egyptian and an Israelite. He had to make a choice. He had a decision to make. To choose the side of a slave nation with all the contempt and privation in preference to substantial advantages which were his as the son of Pharaoh's daughter must have seemed an act of pure folly by all worldly standards. It is, however, an act often repeated by those who share the faith of Moses, who renounces the advantages of worldly self-interest and prefer, because of faith, to cast in their lot with God, Christ, the rejected one, and God's rejected looked-down-upon people, even if that means loss, discomfort, and disgrace. He made a choice. Look at verse 25. He chose. He identified with God's people the losers in the story, the rejects, the ones with empty pockets and striped backs with scars of being flogged. That's his choice. How did faith do that? What happened to him? I'll tell you what happened to him. The gospel happened to him. Jesus put it this way, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. Moses found himself, not in the way you find yourself today. Oh, the way you find yourself today, everybody around you is going to pay for it. Everybody everybody around you is going to be destroyed because when you find yourself today, it's all about you. Who cares about your spouse and your vows and your children? It's all about you. Are you happy Right? Oh, that's that. Jesus said, you have found yourself. That means you've lost yourself at the expense of God and truth, right? So Moses lost himself for his sake. And the Bible says he found himself. He found himself. And he said, that was greater worth than everything I had in Egypt. And I had it. It was mine. (laughs) And you can't compare the joy and the riches of what I have with disgrace next to me as my partner. That, that is just crazy. That is crazy. And that is just an upside down world. Here's what he's thinking. I can live it up now in this life. I can do my thing, you know, play it safe. Watch out for number one in this life, in this temporary life. And forfeit the reward to come. Or I can bite the bullet now, deny self, pick up cross, and follow and gain eternal reward. And Moses is like, no brainer. 
He snapped one day and said, "Uh I want the forever. I'm not going to be duped into biting the hook now and giving up a little bit of my forever so that I can have some sort of stupid thrill now. He said, yeah, it's a thrill. But guess what? What does he say? It says, it's a short time. The guy you met at the gym who's destroying the whole everything, you know, the girl you met at the office, they're going to get old. They're going to get wrinkled. They're going to get fat. And they're going to have bad breath. And they're going to annoy you worse than the first one. I don't know why my mind went there. (laughs) I hear a lot of stuff. I hear a lot of stuff. Faith is about delayed gratification, which is what immature people do not have. I say no now, so he'll say yes then. I don't want to be saying yes, yes, yes now and then hear the big no, then, right? That's Moses. And and where did that come from? Hebrew Christians who are discouraged and want to backslide. It came because they have faith. What was he doing? He was looking ahead. He's like, let's let's just press fast forward. Bloop, 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 thrills, 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 older, 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 dead. And then... (laughs) And then eternity. Oh, I'm going to go with that because I'm looking there. Not at the gym, not at the bar, not at the club, not at the drug dealer, not at the whatever. And I know there are, are, are vices that are not besetting sins like that as well. Because the truth is, there are some things that look really good and upstanding, but are just as wicked as heroin. Amen. So don't be thinking, well, I don't do heroin. Oh, yeah, you know. But what it is that causes you to find yourself is what will cost you your soul. So there you go. What did Paul say? I've got it here. Paul said, you know what? Everybody loved me. I was a Pharisee. I was a Pharisee of Pharisee. You want to know my pedigree? I could produce it for you any time. On top of that, I was a Roman citizen. My father was a Pharisee. His father was a Pharisee. Uh, and, and, and I was king Pharisee. Nobody was a better Pharisee than me. I was spotless, perfect. When, when you look up Pharisee in the Jewish lexicon, you're going to see Saul. It's just Saul. I just ad-libbed a little bit. Verse, <laughs> verse 7. But whatever was to my prophet, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing the man of sorrows, rejected, the one who was spit upon, put a crown of thorns on him. People laughed and mocked at him. I, I, all of my accomplishments in life, there's a greater worth in associating with the rejection and the scorn and the mockery and the disdain that the world has for this one and in connection to me for whose sake I've lost all of that. 
They used to love him and applaud when Paul walked into the room. Hey, you got a biblical question there, Saul? Asked the Jewish encyclopedia, because he was one. Now, after Christ, the Jewish Messiah, he walks in a room and they said, there he is, let's kill him. How do you go from the hero of the faith to now we want to kill you? I'll tell you, you link up with somebody they despise and hate. And Paul says, that is a surpassing greatness. For me to stand next to the one they were spitting on, it's like, that's, yep. Yeah. Oh, it's, there's going to be a big reversal coming. Let me go on here. I consider them rubbish. That word in the Greek means dog food. It means to be tossed to the dogs. It means garbage. That I may gain Christ, be found in him, not having my own goodness that comes from being a good person, but that which is through faith in Christ, just trusting Jesus and the work he did for me on the cross, the goodness that comes from God that God has gifted me with. Look at this. You know what? I want to know Christ, the one disgraced in this world, the one everybody hates. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship that means joining of sharing in his sufferings. And his sufferings he's talking about is not just being crucified. His suffering is, is being rejected and mocked and belittled and hated and lied about and insulted. He said, I want to know that. I want to be like him. Then I know I got the real deal. Jesus said, listen, jump for joy when people are insulting you and, and you're filled with disgrace because of my name. He said, jump up and down for joy because they did it to the prophets, they did it to me, and great is your reward in heaven. He said, this is a normative part of Christianity is to be able to associate value with being looked down upon by a Christ-rejecting, truth-hating world. It's going to happen. Listen, it's a whole new generation of Christianity that wants to... Can you go back to the text? They want to take away the disgrace that Moses said is more valuable than the treasures of heaven. By the way, what is Christ doing 1,400 years before he appears in Bethlehem? Moses knew him. Moses knew about him. Moses wrote about him. Remember Philip found Bartholomew? And what did he, uh, Nathaniel? And what did he say? He said, hey, come, we found the one that Moses wrote about. You see, Moses knew that what he was doing was stepping into the disgrace of that the Messiah would bear. And so there it is. But the, the, the Christianity today and the last deception that is coming upon this world before we see the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords appear is this, the desire for you to escape the disgrace of being associated with Christ. So what does that mean? You're going to have to change Jesus up and make him a little less disgraceful and more acceptable. Not only Jesus, but the Bible and your view of human sexuality and the sanctity of marriage. 
Because if you hold those things, you will, you will share in Christ's disgrace. Now, Moses said, hey, that's a badge of honor. That's worth rubies, diamonds, sapphires, pile them all up like a treasure in Egypt. He says, for me to stand next to my Savior and you to insult him and have those insults fall upon me, Psalm 69, the insults that insulted him have fallen on me. And that is an honor worth more than millions and millions of dollars. Biblically, our Bible heroes are saying, church, brothers and sisters, they're going to pressure you to despise the disgrace that comes your way, that must come your way, as you connect with somebody who was rejected and despised and hated and executed. Jesus said that a student can't be above his, his master. He said, what do you guys think? They hated me. They hated my teaching. They, 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 they mocked me. They insulted me. And you're running around with me in you, expressing the same things that I did. And you expect the world now suddenly to applaud and accept and receive you? Come on. You need to rethink what it means to be shamed on Facebook. You need to rethink what it means to hear somebody say, you're so closed-minded, and say, oh, praise the Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Because what? I'm bearing disgrace for Jesus Christ. It's disgraceful to think like that in this day and age. I'm sorry. I have no control over that. I'm not going to change it so that you'll like me better because friendship with the world is becoming an enemy with God. What did Jesus say? He says, when everybody's speaking well of you and there's not one person who says anything negative about you, he says, woe to you. Woe to you, because you've got something that's not akin to Christianity. Because Christianity is designed to rub people in this world the wrong way for them to stand back and say, drown it, get rid of it, it's disgraceful. And you have to stand there by faith, unafraid of the world's edicts, and they're thumbing their nose down at you, and look back, and what? <laughs> look above Look above and say, thank you. I stand with you, my narrow-minded Savior, my disgraced Savior, the ones who spit and mocked you and, and killed you. Here I am right by your side. Put your arm around me. I'm in. I am in because I'm looking to the future, to the reward. All right, let's move on. They're short ones, the next ones. All right, so we see uh, verse 27. So by faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. And there, that's where I was headed. So when the disgrace comes your way, who, who here likes to be associated in a disgraceful way? Yeah, nobody, right? But if I've got my, my eyes, and here it is, here's the answer, here's how you do it. It's by training your eye by faith to, to behold the face of God. 
if you've got the face of God locked in, your gaze fixed on his gaze, you're going to be surprised what kind of endurance he persevered because he saw the invisible one. We see the invisible one in the handiwork of his heavens. We know we see the invisible one in his word. And when I'm worshiping, I, I can see him in my own soul, in a transformed life that's sitting in front of me in the pews. I know some of these stories that you don't even know about. I, I see miracles in these people's lives. And I, I can go past that and see the face that's working all of that. And if, like Peter, you keep your eyes on the face of God, you will do amazing things. You will endure You will walk on that water. But if you depart the gaze, you're going to be in trouble. So he says, hey, you want to know Moses' secret, how how he left at the end and endured the first plague? Let my people go. No. Okay, well, then you got blood in the Nile. Let my people go. No. Frogs in your houses. Let my people go. No. Bugs covering every square inch. Let my people go. Flies everywhere, dead cattle in their fields, painful boils on their bodies, giant hail upon their houses, upon their fields, upon their heads, locusts upon their crops. He says, uh, okay, okay, you can go, but only the guys. Leave the ladies here and, 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 and no livestock. Just you guys go out, have a camp meeting. <laughs> Moses is like, Aaron, I, can, do you believe this? This guy? Come on. No, that's not going to happen. You know, and then he says, uh, okay, you can go, but then you have to come back. You know? No, no, no. How did Moses just endure all of that struggle? He was looking to God, and by faith he saw his face. Listen, do you see his face? When you're in trouble, do you see his face? Do you get out of bed? Do you imagine God there? Do you see his face? Isn't that part of the problem? Is you can't get past the the veil? By faith, the veil opens up and you see the face that spoke and the universe leapt into existence. By faith, the veil gets pulled back and you see the face that knit you together in your mother's womb. God Almighty, by faith, you, you can feel the hands of God who spins the universe in, into being. Wipe away your tears. I used to love to run years ago, I was, and I like to run about 10 miles. That was my deal. And uh, right at the end, and we lived in the city, oh, lots of hills in the city. And, and I'd be, I set all kinds of goals for myself. So it was important for me to get to my goal. And there were times right at the end where I just felt, I cannot, I can't breathe. And I'm burning and my legs are burning and I'm, my lungs are just saying, please, just, oh, just stop. <laughs> and I picture Barb's face. Smile. The love of my life. And then I picture Zachary. Jordan, PJ. And I'll tell you what, when they were in front of me, 
Oh, finding reservoirs I didn't know I had. I, I had resources of digging into places, pulling up all everything, and I made it by keeping my eyes on things I couldn't see, but I saw, right? Because I know they're there. Same thing. Listen, you are just burning up and I can't do another day. Oh, come on. You put your eyes and your gaze upon the God. God Almighty, and you're going to find the strength to put another foot in front of the other foot. You're going to do it for him. There's one last thing, and it kind of goes along the lines. He kept the Passover by faith at the sprinkling of the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. They already knew this. So what's it in there for? Oh, I, I know why it's there. You know, it, it, he's saying he wants to remind the Hebrew Christians what God went through to purchase their free pass over death. And so if you're taking notes, believing in God means that uh, we get a pass when it comes to death. We get a pass, a free pass when it comes to death. And so there was nothing in Moses' experience to let him know how the 10th plague was going to go. All he was told is, death is coming. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab a lamb, lamb for each family. Slaughter the lamb. Put the blood of the lamb, sprinkle it on the doorpost frames, right? And, and I want you to go inside, come under, and I want you to consume that lamb in its entirety, roasted over fire, right? So they already know that they have received the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, that Jesus is the Messiah, that, that he's the lamb of God. And it's his blood that's on the doorposts of our hearts, as it were, that when death comes, it passes over. And, and, and so the first one is if he, here's, here's the key. You should read this passage like this. By faith, he, by faith, Moses kept the Passover. If Moses has to go in under the blood and stay in the house, he himself kept it. He wasn't just preaching to everybody and then doing his own thing like professional Christians. You know, oh, I've heard all that and I know all that and I could tell you three, you know, three ways to grow as a Christian. One, two, and three. You know, read your Bible every day, pray. You know, have you ever tried this and that and the other thing? And how about you? Oh, no, you're the professional Christian. You don't have to keep the Passover. You just know all about it and tell everybody else what to do because you know so much, right? By this time, Moses, the most famous, powerful man in the world. News about him's in every household and all around the world. He's, here's a guy who can speak and by God's grace bring a world superpower to its knees and crush it into the ground. News gets out about this guy in Mesopotamia. He did what? How? What kind of army? Uh, he doesn't have an army. He's got this brother. He's got a sister. And, and he's got a staff. <laughs> and he grinds Egypt to a halt and pulverizes them in the ground. Yeah, he just calls on his God and bam. 
even he, Hebrews, even he didn't despise the cross. You guys are hardening your hearts to the one who is the Passover lamb who, who gave you his life so that you could not die. Why would you pull away from the Passover lamb when Moshe, Moshe instituted the holiday? It was for 1,400 years until Jesus fulfilled it. On the night he was betrayed, it was Passover evening. And he said, yep, yeah, here I am, the Passover lamb, my blood on your doorposts. And death comes, passes over by faith. He knew that's for me too. It may be for some wretched Hebrew low life, sorry, in the slave pits, muck and mire, not a penny to his name, just a slave, a vile one. He had to go in the house next to the prince of Egypt, the miracle worker, the miracle worker, the lawgiver. He had to step in under the blood. So dear Hebrew friends, if our Moshe had to come under and he needed to stay near to the cross and the blood of Jesus, why would you guys be drifting away, pulling away? The answer's not out there. The answer's close, near our Messiah, near the cross, near the blood, near the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these examples of faith, these beautiful examples. And Lord, it's only by the power of your spirit we're going to be able to implement any of them. So help us, Lord. We call them to our minds as we need them each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.